great to have you here this morning. And uh, as you will have seen in that email that Simon uh, so lovingly referred to just before, um, we're doing a four-week vision series. And the reason for the series is that on the heart of the leadership of the Street City Church, we feel compelled to step up a level. There are so many good things that God has blessed us with, but uh, we just feel this absolute compulsion that it's time to, to really kind of step up into what God would have for us as a church. And so I want to share that. I'm going to take four weeks to do it. And uh, this week we start, and uh, then we, we move into kind of how does this all sort of fit together over the next few weeks. So thank you for being here, and would you join me? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for bringing us here this morning. Well, my prayer is that as we open your word, would you open our hearts, that we would see the wonderful things that you have for us. Lord, this is our prayer. We ask this in your name. Amen. Let me introduce you to Blondin. He was famous for being the first person to cross a tightrope, stretched 300 meters across the Niagara Falls. He did it in 1860. He walked across 50 meters above the falls several times, each time with a different daring feat, once in a sack, once on stilts, on a bicycle. He did it in the dark. He even did it blindfolded. One time he even took a stove and he cooked an omelet in the middle of the falls and ate it. A large crowd gathered, as you would expect. And the buzz of excitement rang across both sides of the river as Blondin carefully walked across one dangerous step after another pushing a wheelbarrow, holding a sack of potatoes. Upon reaching the other side, the crowd's applause was louder than the roar of the falls. Blondin suddenly stopped and addressed his audience. Do you believe, he said, I can carry a person across in this wheelbarrow? The crowd enthusiastically yelled, yes, you can. We believe. Okay, he said, who wants to get in? Jesus gave this invitation, this commission. Matthew chapter 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This defines our purpose as a church. This tells us what it is that we are to do. It starts by saying at the beginning of it that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. That authority is that rightful, actual, uncontainable power to act with no hindrance. Do you realize that that is the power Jesus Christ has. He has uncontainable power to act and do whatever he wants with no hindrance. Jesus Christ has the right to issue marching orders and he has the power to enable people to carry out those orders. He's with us till the very end of the age. That authority that he has himself is right with us carrying us along. The inescapable mandate for the church, for you and for me, is this. Make disciples. 
A disciple is an apprentice. It's a learner. It's where you learn to become like your teacher. So then we ask this really obvious question, well, how do we make disciples? And he tells us so simply in two very simple points. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You know, at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was first poured out, Peter, in his first sermon, declared to all who were listening that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's conquered sin, he's conquered death, and he's ascended to glory where he is now established as the Savior of the world. That revelation convicted every single person who was listening. And they asked Peter, in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, what must I do? And Peter replied in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, he said this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, to make disciples, they firstly needed to be baptized. Which meant they needed to understand that Jesus is Lord of all and Savior for all. Baptism was this public declaration or identification that a person had surrendered their life to Jesus Christ as Lord and a Savior. So making disciples is firstly telling the good news of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he says this, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Yeah, that tells us that it's not only about coming to faith, it's about growing in faith. It's about spiritual growth. You see, Jesus is not some random religious leader Wanting to create a following. He is God. He is Lord. And that changes everything. We're to teach people to obey him. That is, we're to teach people to say yes to him. And saying yes to Jesus is saying yes to living life as life was designed to be lived. This is the purpose the church has been given. And we've defined it really simply here at the street as this. Helping people become total followers of Jesus Christ. Now, here is where the leadership of the street is currently sensing the Lord leading us. We, who have been given under Jesus the authority we need to live for him and the power that is needed to totally fulfill the mission, maybe, just maybe, we're a little bit too much like the crowd on the banks of the river watching Blondin take an empty wheelbarrow across the rope. As far as the Blondin story goes, at that time, no one took up the offer of a ride. I wonder if it's time for us as a church to step up in faith and an expectancy that God wants to use us far more than he currently is. Let me reinforce some uncontainable weights of evidence that we can rely on when it comes to living for Jesus Christ. Because it's not just a matter of, well, let me try harder. Here are some things that we know. Firstly, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, we know where Jesus says, I will build my church. I want to tell you this, the church is uncontainable. It's not uncontainable because of you. It's not uncontainable because of me. It's not uncontainable because of the great things that we can do. It's uncontainable for one reason and one reason alone. Jesus Christ builds the church. The gospel 
is uncontainable. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, it tells us that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. You can, as well as I, listen to stories from places like northern India, where people are going village by village and are seeing people regularly, daily, coming to faith. As Jesus has proclaimed, I heard a story just the other night of a, of a movement which is going on in Africa at the moment where they're taking the Jesus film into a village and every person in the village is coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And so they establish a church there and put a pastor there to teach and then they move to the next village. They play the Jesus video and every person in that village surrenders their life to Christ and becomes a follower of him. So they put a church there, they go to the next village. Village by village, the gospel is growing throughout the whole world. I'm talking currently with a person who's got a, got a vision and a heart to reach over 700 unreached people groups in the Indonesian islands. Village by village. Person by person, language by language, they're breaking down the barriers. Why? Because the gospel is uncontainable. The harvest is uncontainable. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 9. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You know what that tells us? It tells us that there is more to be harvested than there are harvesters. There is an uncontainable harvest if we would care to look. There is also uncontainable power that you and I have. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That tells us this very, very simple reality. The Holy Spirit cannot and will not be contained. He is at work today, right here, right now. He is moving on the hearts and in the lives of people, showing them that there is a God in heaven who loves them, showing them that there is a problem in their life, and that is that they're living separate from God, showing them so deeply, so beautifully, so personally, that if they would care to look, that that price of their rebellion, that price of their separation from God has been paid for on the cross 2,000 years ago outside of Jerusalem where Jesus Christ paid in full the price of their sin. And showing them so wonderfully that if they come to this place of realizing that that is for them, if they turn to him and they repent and they believe that they too can have the gift of eternal life and of life here and now. And the Holy Spirit is far more active and at work than we would probably give him credit for right here, right now in New Zealand. Let me introduce you to uh, Lee Watchstetter. She's an 86-year-old Florida widow. She took her daughter's advice and she sold her five-bedroom Fort Lauderdale area home on 10 acres and became a permanent luxury cruise ship resident after her husband died. Mama Lee, as she's known, aboard the 11-year-old Crystal Serenity cruise ship, has been living on the ship longer than most of its 655 crew members, nearly seven years. My husband introduced me to cruising, she recalled. Mason was a banker and a real estate appraiser, and he taught me to love cruising. What a man. During our 50-year marriage, we did 89 cruises. 
Well, I've done nearly a hundred more, and 15 of them have been world cruisers. She really bothers going ashore nowadays, because she's most likely already been there before. And when most everybody goes ashore, it's so quiet on the ship, she says, you know, I have the whole ship to myself. She estimates that living the good life on the Serenity will cost her about $164,000 this year. In her mind, that's cheaper than a rest home. That'll cover the cost of her single occupancy, seventh deck stateroom, regular and specialty restaurant meals with available lunch, ballroom dancing with dance host, Broadway caliber entertainment, as well as the captain's frequent cocktail parties and movies and lectures, plus other scheduled daily activities. I enjoy dancing, she says. And this is the best of the remaining ships that still use dance hosts, Mama Lee exclaimed. Coming aboard this ship, or before coming aboard this ship, she said, I used to live on the Holland American liner for three years. But the day they announced they were stopping the dance host program was the day I decided to leave. (laughs) As for dinner, she said, oh, I do love to eat. And I regularly dine at the table for eight. You meet lots of interesting passengers, and I've made lots of new friends that way. She's put on 25 pounds since coming aboard, she confides, and has been on a fruit and vegetable liquid diet trying to shed them. I'm happy to say, she said, I've only got 10 more pounds to lose. The crew members, while they bend over backwards to keep me happy, some are almost like family now. If they don't have what I want, they get it even if they have to buy it off the ship or make it to my special needs. Looking forward to her 87th birthday and seventh year aboard the Serenity. Watch Detta, a former registered nurse, credits a good immune system for being able to steer clear of doctor's offices. All the time I've been here, I've never had a sick day, she said. I'm so spoiled. I doubt I would ever be able to readjust to the real world again. We're a blessed church. We're blessed with facilities. We're blessed with leadership. We enjoy worship. We enjoy teaching. Our children are well cared for. I hear phrases like, this is a safe church, a haven. It's secure. All this is wonderful, but it's deeply troubling. And I wonder if we are a bit like a cruise liner. We're enjoying the ride. Everything we need is pretty much here. It's safe, it's secure, and nothing too much rocks the boat. We know what we get, and by and large, we we like it. I just don't know how uncontainable our passion to reach the city is. Maybe we are more like a cruise liner. Maybe it's time to become more like a fishing vessel. So, what does this look like? Do you realize that there are half a million people 
living in the Wellington region. Wellington City, Poirua City, Upper Hutt City, Lower Hutt City. Let's ambitiously say that 50,000 of those half a million people are born again followers of Jesus Christ. And they attend church every Sunday morning. Now, if that were actually the case, every church building in our city would be full on Sunday morning. That leaves 450,000 people in our backyard who are lost without Jesus. What do we do about that? Well, Simon's our outreach pastor. We could book him in. One person an hour, say eight people a day, say five days a week. If we did that because he's the outreach guy, it'll take him 250 years to spend an hour with all of the 450,000 people to introduce them to Jesus. Good plan? Deafening response. (laughs) That's not going to work. Because there's still 450,000 dead people walking around in Wellington. Now, we are one part of the church in the Wellington region. So I find myself asking the question, what will it take for us, the Street City Church, to do our part to reach 1% of the population over the next five years. To reach 1%, that's four and a half thousand people. That's a vision to see over the next five years, 4,500 people baptized. Not 4,500 people come to church. Not 4,500 people respond in church. 4,500 people baptized. That means over the next five years, every single one of us will take up the mission of Jesus to make disciples like we never have before. It means that the over 1,500 people, not including children, here who identify the Street City Church as their spiritual home, take responsibility to share Jesus with three people and celebrate their baptism at some stage over the next five years. Hmm. Over this year, you've heard a number of video testimonies of people who have been saved recently as we've baptized them sharing their story of coming to Jesus. In a number of those stories, you would find if you cared to look, you'd find me sitting down the front here somewhere, usually in tears. When I hear people like Floyd or Jason or others who will say in their video testimony that they talked to Nick Field and and he led me to Jesus. I have to tell you that There is nothing like leading someone to Jesus Christ. There is nothing more mind-exploding than sitting alongside someone and seeing the Holy Spirit take the truth of the Word of God 
And in a moment in time, see him open their heart and their mind where they go, I believe it is true. And I know it is for me. And to have them turn to me and to say, I'm ready. I want to surrender my life to Christ. And to bow your head with someone as they sit there and they surrender their life to Christ. I have to tell you, there is nothing like it. But I've got to tell you, I feel more like the captain of a cruise ship doing it. You see, people will rock up and will sit at the table and I get to share with them. As awesome as that is, there is so much more. And let me swing around and say, what do you mean by that? I've not seen a personal friend of mine come to faith since I was 18 years old. Now, I've, I've led people to Jesus. I've preached the gospel in here and in other places around the world. I've been used by the Lord to, to see people come to faith. All of that is wonderful. But I tell you what, I have not had the privilege of sitting alongside a personal friend of mine and seeing them come to Christ since I was 18. There is a desire in my heart and on the heart of the leadership of the street for every one of us to know the joy of being used by the Lord to lead someone you know to Christ. To pray like we've never prayed before. To obey like we've never obeyed before. To believe and to act like Jesus really is the Lord. He really is building his church. He really is empowering his people. He really is seeking lost people more than we could ever dare to imagine right here on our doorstep. To step out in faith like never before. George Mueller put it this way. He said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. We're inviting the street city church to move beyond what we can do. To trust God to do what only he can do. To reach more people in this city than we could possibly dare to dream or imagine. It means that we'll need to do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus. It means that we start with our own heart and we move from there. You know, in the past 18 months as a leadership, we have been pouring fuel on our outreach passion. Simon has been encouraging and prodding me. Here's what I've learned. I've learned when I pray consistently and passionately, God uses me. Strange, isn't it? I've discovered that there are way more opportunities to share Jesus with people than I actually thought. I've discovered that for most people to have a conversation around spiritual beliefs is okay. We're not the enemy. 
And I'm now quietly and slowly building relationships with people who are far from God. And by faith, seeing God's hand hovering over those relationships. And so I'm praying into them, expecting that God will use me to see them saved, to see them baptized. And that's changing everything in me. It means that we as a church need to think about how we cope with growth. It means we act like a fishing vessel that goes to where the fish are and not to the comfortable ports. It's why we're thinking through opportunities such as multi-sites, because we want to be where the people are who need to hear about Jesus. You see, a a cruise ship is going to sit and wait for people to turn up. The fishing vessel is going to go where the people are. And that's why over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what it will take for us, for you and I, to become the follower of Jesus that we're called to be. So that we can invite a city to come as they are, to be transformed and to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And what the street must be to fulfill the mission of making disciples of all nations starting right here, right now. So here's my question for today. What needs to change in me to see three people I know baptized in five years? Who am I praying for? Each week we're going to give you this, a seven-day prayer challenge. You see, it starts with prayer. It's sustained through prayer. Prayer is the battle. And each week there is going to be a theme for this. And the seven-day prayer challenge this week is this, God, would you break my heart for lost people? What would your life look like if your passion increased for people far from God? I encourage you to use these six verses and to pray through them every day this week, allowing the Holy Spirit to move in your life, softening and breaking your heart for lost people. If you're linked into our Facebook page every day of the week, one of those verses is going to come up as a Facebook feed just to remind you. You may want to put this in your Bible, put it on your fridge, wherever it is. Let me, let me just tell you how you can do this. Tomorrow morning you may get up and you may look at this and go, okay, day one. And you think to yourself, man, do I want to do this? This sounds really inconvenient to my life. But wait a minute, we're not a cruise ship, we're a fishing boat. So God, I thank you that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. I thank you, Jesus, you came to seek and save me. And Lord, my prayer today is that you would give me a heart for lost people. My prayer today is that you would move my heart, that I too would join with you to seek and save people who are far from you. God, I'm asking you to break my heart for lost people. Amen. And watch what God would do. And watch over the next seven days 
as God begins to change your heart to align it more with his. The gospel is uncontainable because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Would you stand with me? I invite you to take a moment and have a conversation with him. A conversation around the state of your heart. Where are you at? A conversation with him around the the 450,000 people in in our area, in this area of Wellington, who are lost, who don't know Jesus. A conversation with him around four and a half thousand people that set this, dared to set this crazy idea that God could use one church to reach four and a half thousand people in New Zealand in five years. Have a conversation with him around saying, there's three, Lord. Who are the three for me? Who over the next five years, would you move on my heart so deeply that my love for them would be so great that it would be inconceivable to me to not share what is true life with them and allow God to move on your life. Take a moment. You and him have a conversation. Then Jamie will lead us.